Well, as the band's making their way down, uh, before we begin the sermon, I wanted to share a, a story with you. As Marty McFly once said before he played that wonderful song, it's an oldie but a goodie, and I'm sure you've heard it before, but just in case, it's called The Tortoise and the Hare. Hare being like a rabbit, only larger with longer back legs and longer ears, and their fur changes color more drastically during the seasons. Those facts are provided to you thanks to Modern Farmer, the website. Now, the tortoise and the hare in this story, they have a race. The hare takes off super fast and is clearly in the lead. The tortoise is tortoising. He's going slow. He's going steady, but he's way behind the hare. In my version, the hare sees the finish line ahead. He looks behind. The tortoise is nowhere. So knowing that he can easily finish this whenever he wants, that it's really not that big a deal and he can quickly do it later, he decides to take a little break and he naps. And wouldn't you know it, As he's napping, the tortoise, who had slowly and steadily kept going, passes the hare and wins the race. Moral of the story, slow and steady wins the race. Now, our text today picks up in the Gospel of Matthew, and if you've got your Bibles open, now's the time to open them again. If you don't have them open, then open them, get them out. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter uh, chapter 16, verses 21 through 28. Now, there are two things worth mentioning that come directly before the event that we're going to be looking at today. The first one I want to mention comes a little bit earlier in the chapel, or in the chapter, and the disciples had forgotten to pack bread for this journey that they were on with Jesus, and Jesus tells them that they need to be on their guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then a little later it shifts, and the disciples are arguing with each other, getting upset because they think Jesus is upset with them because they didn't bring any bread. So he explains it to them again that he is not talking about the baking preferences of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but instead he's talking about their teachings and what they think it means to follow God. That's immediately followed by Jesus asking asking the disciples, who do the people say that I am? They respond, John the Baptist. They say Elijah. They say Jeremiah. Some say one of the prophets. Then he looks at them and says, now who do you say I am? Which, side note, is a wonderful question that we should ask ourselves, right? Who do you say Jesus is? Well, Peter responds, you are the Messiah and the Son of the living God. Jesus says, blessed are you. He calls him the rock. He says, on this he's going to build his church. Hell's not going to overcome the church. He's giving Peter and the disciples the keys, meaning the authority to forgive sins. This is a big deal. For after this declaration, Matthew's gospel takes a turn. The apostolic confession that Peter makes marks the beginning of Jesus instructing his disciples concerning his death and resurrection. So let's jump into our text today. Verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. This is a four-step plan. Go to Jerusalem, suffer, die, rise. They had just said that he is the Messiah. He tells them the way of the Messiah, the main purpose, the plan of the Messiah. And then we get this verse. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. The Greek for rebuke here means to reprove or to censor, describing someone who tries to prevent an action from happening and usually using physical restraint to prevent it from happening. Basically, 
Peter pulls Jesus to the side and says, die, hashtag not my Messiah, kind of like when they recast the, um, the cast of, of Diary of Wimpy Kid, that fourth one, not my Roderick, can I get an amen there? Now, wherever you are at home, I'm assuming that you did it. Peter wasn't having this. He's not having his Messiah die. Don't miss this paradox. Peter says, you're the Messiah. Jesus tells him the way of the Messiah. And Peter says, not that way. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus did not forget Peter's name here. In this moment, Peter was influenced by Satan and joined in the mission that tried to keep Jesus from the karas. And Jesus called him a stumbling block because he was trying to get in the way of Jesus' death at the proper time and the proper way. And don't miss this. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Peter may have gotten the yeast metaphor the second time, but he wasn't ready to embrace the reality of it. He may have got it with his head and understood it, but his heart and his hands were not yet ready. He is not yet ready to give up the way of comfort and his feelings seeing those as more important. He wants a way of life that is centered around what he feels and what he wants. He wanted the human concerns. And Jesus says the concerns of God are more important. The things that hurt God should hurt us. The ways of God should be the ways of us. And when we avoid the cross, when we put our own way of thinking before what we have been told, we become our own stumbling blocks, concerned as humans with the human self, self-desire, self-expectations. So the Lord gives us lessons in discipleship, lessons of what it means to carry the cross and be called away from the same old, same old concerned and calls us to something new, the thoughts and ways of God. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves Take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? First lesson we see pertains to the differences between salvation and discipleship. The Bible draws a clear distinction between the two, but they are never apart from each other. Salvation always is and has been an act of Jesus that we receive by faith, by believing that Jesus died for our sins, was buried and rose again. We trust Jesus and him alone for our salvation, a salvation that was won for us and given to us by grace through faith. The action is the Lord's and we simply receive. But discipleship is co-action. It is the Holy Spirit that we have been given working in and through us. Jesus says, if anyone would be my disciple, they must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. 
For the listener of the day, we must keep in mind this idea of taking up the cross would have been a very graphic image of self-denial. Not only was crucifixion an utterly sadistic and humiliating form of execution, it also put the entire family of the victim to shame. Are you ready to embrace suffering? To endure persecution? To be shaped and reshaped under Jesus, to learn and live in His ways, and to be made into His likeness? Are you ready to give up the preconceived notions of what life is supposed to be about? The bill of goods we have been sold and been immersed in since we were born and pick up a cross instead. Dallas Willard said, the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who, by profession or culture, are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from Him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens and to bring it into every corner of human existence. Discipleship is the way of the tortoise, not the hare. It is not quick. It is not easy. It really doesn't allow for naps. It's not something that you can say, you know what, I'm going to get to that later. Daily dying to sin and rising with him daily choosing to follow and with a world that gets faster every day offers more choices every day rewards individualism each day in contrast to those rewards stands the cross and the dying to self and the choosing to follow jesus coming to grips with the knowledge that we are not the center of the universe. We are not the ones seated on the throne. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? second lesson is when we try to avoid the cross, the way of Jesus, we fail. And that is one of the hardest things to learn and to do as a disciple. To ignore Fleetwood Mac, not go our own way, but to hear the Lord and surrender. To embrace suffering and to die. It doesn't sound very appealing. And there is no getting around it. But it is the most appealing thing that there is. Because the truth is, you have to die a little to live a lot. It is only when we die to the me first, the me at the center of all things, that we can truly experience life. You have to die a little to live a lot. We are called to wage war against the same thing that caused Satan to fall and Adam and Eve to stumble in the garden. Pride. To fight against pride. To fight against self and selfishness. 
not hate myself, not think negative thoughts about myself, not purposely harm myself, not think that I myself have no value, but instead to get where Paul was when he wrote to the Corinthians and said, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. To fight against pride, we have to humble ourselves, confess our failures, desire forgiveness, seek his face to look at our lives and say, what in my life needs to die so that I can live, so that I can get to where I want, where I want to help others, where I want to give, where I want to follow Jesus completely and utterly trusting in Jesus. Friends, repentance begins with a turning of the mind, then action. And all of that is fueled by the third lesson, the promises of discipleship. That he loved first and has now given us these things. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. The way of Jesus promises life promises purpose and meaning, gives hope and an invitation to a life that is abundantly more fulfilling. A life that is more than what we eat and wear and live. A, a purpose and meaning that isn't just found in our job or in the successes that we have. A life of Jesus following Him allows you to see and experience hope and peace in the midst of chaos and ambiguity. Allows yourself to, to look at yourself and this life that we have been given through the cross. To pick up the cross and put it at the forefront of our eyes. Not looking at what we have or don't have or at the color-coded watchlist classification that we're currently on, this party or that, or for who's to blame for what's wrong. But to look at the cross. To pick it up and to see what Christ has given you and what Christ has taken from you. And you may be sitting there thinking, this is just words, but these words are promises. Promises made by the one who made you, who sees you and has promised you life and presence, who has promised you presence in his word and in the sacrament, who has taken your sins and your failures and removed that burden that weight of guilt and taking it from your shoulders. This is a life where God has not said, I have saved you, now you're on your own. Carry this cross. But as one that says, pick it up and follow me. Be with me. And look around and open your eyes and see the community that I have given you to help bear these burdens and promises, promises this, the final promise he gave to his disciples and to us. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then the text concludes and says, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels and will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Friends, we do not have to be afraid of the Lord coming back. 
for we will be like the sheep and we will look at him and say, what did we ever do for you that we could be rewarded for? And he will say, what you have done for the least of these, for the most vulnerable of these, you have done for him. Not for your salvation, because he won that for you, but because of the love that you have for him and because he has called you to do it, to be his disciples. You know, each disciple died, but Peter, James, and John, they saw what it was going to look like when it comes back. They saw Jesus. They experienced that transfiguration. They saw it. They knew what was coming. And so they saw the way of the cross and they said it was worth it. They said the way of the cross is not the pain-free, easy breezy way. There is no shortcut to this discipleship. They knew they were in way over their heads. But they took their stand against the devil and against his ways. And so shall we. Hebrews 11 reminds us that many before us have taken up the way of the cross, have lived by faith. Some of them faced jeering and flogging, imprisonment, death, destitute. They were mistreated. And for many, they didn't even see the rewards of this life. But with perseverance and steadiness, they ran the race marked out for them. And in Christ Jesus won the prize. Embrace the way of the cross. 